Yale Podcast Network. Good morning and welcome to the other side of faith-based think tank on policy, economics, entertainment, and global community. Once again, I'm your co-host, Devin Park, and I'm here once again with the coolest co-host, Mrs. Erin Sands. Hey, everybody, and um, we want to thank you for coming on this journey with us, and I hope that you have enjoyed it as much as we have. Amen. Today, we have what I would like to call our inaugural episode of a series we'd like to call The Woman's Movement. Of course, as you've guessed it, it was Erin's idea and a great <laughs> idea at that. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk today about sexual harassment, uh, sexual abuse, and the Me Too movement. Yes, and what I'd like to begin saying about the Me Too movement is um, it really is about shared experience. Um, obviously, you hear that in the moniker, but one of the many things I've heard from men regarding sexual harassment or sexual assault is, why didn't you tell anybody? And I suppose that may seem like a reasonable question mm. to a man, but if you're a woman... You already know the answer to that question. Hmm. The reason that I don't make an announcement that the sun has come up and the reason I don't rush to tell everybody about it is because it's been coming up every day for my entire life. Hmm. And I really want men listening to understand that. And I'm going to elaborate more on it later in our Amen Corner. But every woman I know, not some, but every woman I know has at one point in their life been on the receiving end of overt, disrespectful, inappropriate sexual overtures from a man. Mm. No, not always rape or abuse, obviously, but although many women, as we are reading, and um, have been the victim of that too. But what does it say about the enormity of this issue if nine out of ten women have experienced unwanted, inappropriate sexual behavior from a man? So in 2007, when Tarana Burke created the Me Too movement via her nonprofit organization, Just Be, to help victims of sexual assault, and in 2017, when actress Alyssa Milana helped the Me Too movement uh, by going mainstream, promoting it on social media, we've seen a deluge of what I just shared, women finally being given a platform and a voice to talk about what has been happening to us for years. So I am excited today to begin the first of many discussions regarding this issue and to welcome our wonderful guest. All right. Well, our wonderful guest today is what we call a young gun. For those of you who may have missed the last few episodes, that's our, that's our, uh, how should I say it, our, our affectionate, um, affectionately, <laughs> you know, lovingly, respectfully <laughs> <laughs> title for our millennials, since for our millennials. So today we have Heaven Burhane. Burhane, yes. Burhane. Burhane. got it right. Mm -hmm. Evan Burhane is a third-year Master's of Divinity student at Yale University. Uh, Evan identifies herself as a burgeoning womanist preacher slash theologian and a licensed social worker. She holds various positions within the greater Yale University, which includes her position as a graduate assistant at the Afro-American Cultural Center, Equity and Civic Engagement Coordinator for the Psy City, Psy City Institute and co-chair for the Black Graduate Network. Heaven's academic concentrations are centered around womanist theology and ethics, refugees and displacement, racial injustice, and mental health, with a focus on engaging the African diaspora from a theological, social, and political lens. Prior to coming to the Divinity School, Heaven was working in the field of social work as a licensed clinician engaged with various communities around issues relating to health and unemployment, uh, child welfare, poverty, public housing, 
mental health actually, uh, and mental health as opposed to health, mental health. 27 years ago, Heaven and her family immigrated to this country as refugees from Eritrea and have since called D.C. metropolitan area home. She holds a Bachelor's of Science degree in psychology from Virginia Commonwealth University and a Master of Social Work from Howard University in D.C., Welcome, Wow. Heaven. Thank you. Thank Welcome. you. You know you got to put some respect on it and say the Howard University. The Howard <laughs> University, or HU, actually, which, uh, which, which some Hampton people probably debate who they are, but that, I can't get into that. We won't get into that today. <laughs> I won't get into that. No, no, no. Thank you so much for having me. I, I'm so glad to be here with you guys this morning. All right. Well, we are honored to have you. You are a very accomplished guest and um, probably going to be one of our favorite young guns. Well, oh, everyone's our favorite. It's okay. <laughs> but you we're can excited say to that. Have you. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to begin this discussion because many people don't um, are not familiar with the term womanist or womanism. So can you please define that for us in your own words and share that with our audience? Sure. Um, so, you know, the womanist and the womanist womanism movement came out of this uh, essentially uh, lack thereof discussion around black women's voices in the larger feminist movement. Um, mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, Alice, it's coined by the term from Alice Walker's book, In Search of Her Mother's Garden. Um, and so from that, uh, you had scholars kind of taking her definition around what it meant to be a womanist and kind of taking it to make it a larger framework. So essentially, mm-hmm. I'm going to, you know, give you guys a very um, kind of simple definition so that I know we like we like simple. simple. <laughs> we like simple. We like simple. Um, <laughs> and so essentially, you know, womanist thought is centered around focusing uh, is focused on the lived experiences of black women. Um, and it, that's the center and the focal point. And so, you know, what's, people are going to ask, well, what's the difference between womanists and, like, black feminists? Um, and that's a very important question. Womanists center their voices around black women, but also their community. And black feminists center their voices strictly around black women. And so that's essentially what kind of separates between, you know, black women, uh, black womanists and black feminists is that, um, you know, black women, not only do they focus on uh, their entry point is black women. And that's the focal point and the experiences mm-hmm. and lived experiences of black women. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But also uh, in conjunction with that, uh, the community. And so that includes, you know, children and, and men as well. Mm. And so that's kind of what separates the two. Uh, okay. Uh, so that's, that's kind of wonderful. like a, yeah, that's a very general um, understanding of the framework that womanists kind of work from. But that's good. That's good. So, what is the womanist theologian perspective on the Me Too movement? Would Ooh, you say that is a very good question? Um, well, so we, maybe we could develop it right here. We, here. we can develop it right here, right now. We'll decide. <laughs> we'll decide what it is. It's, it's, right. uh, you know, so I'll say this. I think there's definitely a lot of, um, so we've had a lot of women definitely talk about it. Um, you know, I was very fortunate this semester to take a class with uh, Dr. Ebony Marshall Terman, and we had a discussion around the Me Too movement. And, you know, we mm-hmm. read different books from different womanist theologians as well as black feminists. So this conversation has been had, is definitely being had in this space. Um, mm-hmm. and so this is not the first time. So I'm kind of just kind of giving some of the thoughts from the readers and just kind of my own personal perspective um, mm-hmm. because, you know, it kind of varies from person to person. But I would say the womanist uh, perspective around the Me Too movement is definitely centralizing um, first and foremost this identity this this idea about double jeopardy mm. uh, mm-hmm. you know that in particular black women face that not only it's is it their sex but it's their race mm. 
And so that's mm-hmm. what the Me Too movement essentially kind of lacks, right? It mm-hmm. doesn't talk about class. It doesn't talk about uh, race. It's kind of focused strictly around, like, gender. So this idea that all women... So it would be more the feminist movement versus a womanist movement. In Me the too. sense... The Me Too movement? Yeah, I would say the yeah. Me Too movement is structured around this kind of very uh, pseudo-feminist movement. Um, okay. okay. So, <laughs> you know, this idea that it can happen to anyone. And so that mm-hmm. it can essentially erases this, uh, you know, some of the factors that, you know, black women face that go beyond just this idea of, you know, gender oppression as being, uh, you know, what kind of uh, brings us in the solidarity movement. But, you know, uh, kind of really focusing around, uh, you know, race in particular, the lived experiences of black women, uh, black mm-hmm. poor women. Uh, you know, and the type of gender oppression, sexual violence that they face, not only from, you know, individuals, but also like the larger structures, right? The government, you know, the type of violence that they face on a daily basis that just goes beyond the individual interactions. And so the womanist theologian is thinking or the womanist is thinking about politics, race, um, you know, um, capitalism. It's all of these different intersections um, that black women have are forced to face with. And I think that in truth, you cannot think about what's been going on with women without bringing into uh, into thought culture right. and, and, as you say, class right. and race, especially culture and class when we talk about all women, when we talk about the yeah. culture uh, of what we've created, because there is a culpability in world culture and just if we're going to go specific to American culture that we've engendered in men right. this sense of sort of ownership. Yeah. And uh, I saw um, a little meme. It was funny, but <laughs> still it was very real. A meme on Facebook the other day. And my husband, it's two parts. My husband loves, um, he's an actor. He loves, uh, he grew up with the comic books and the whole thing. So he loves cartoon and that whole culture. And he likes going back to 80s cartoons. And the cartoons we grew up, do you guys remember the character Pepe Le Pew? I remember, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Okay, I, I don't think know this is where, I this think is, that's a little before Yeah, this, this is where my, okay. my, my millennial <laughs> side is coming in right okay. now. Okay, okay. <laughs> so the meme I, I saw, saw I saw on, the same meme, I think, when he, <laughs> yeah, he, he chased around the cat. Yeah. He really harassed the cat, to be honest. Right, right. The meme I saw on Facebook the other day was this character Pepe Le Pew. He was supposed to be sort of this Don Juan charmer, but he's always... This cat that he's pursuing because I guess he thinks he's he thinks a cat, but he's a really a skunk. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so he's always grabbing and holding this woman and kissing her and she's constantly pushing him away and he's like, <laughs> that was the whole thing. Oh, you remember gosh. Evan? I remember. So I'm, anyway, I'm trying to find the image now on Instagram because I know where it is. Exactly. Right. And then and then I watched some 80s cartoons with my husband and these are little boys growing up hearing these, like, the woman character would talk, and they'd be like, be quiet, Sue, men are talking. Mm-hmm. And then they would go, you know, it would, it, and so these young men are growing up hearing these things and, and having these images and thoughts reinforced. This is not an excuse, but mm-hmm. we need to understand our culpability in our culture to create a mindset of men that think that they can do certain things. Uh, and, um, and, and, and it extends is also to the church. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and we can get into that. Let's get into that. Let me ask you. Let mm-hmm. me ask this this one question because I'm thinking about if if I have this right. Uh, we're talking about black womanist. Yeah. Lived experience of black women mm-hmm. and inclusive of the community. Right. And feeling a sense of responsibility to not just black women but women but the community. Yes, the larger community. Yeah. Larger community. Mm-hmm. So, 
let's get into this. This this may be jumping a little bit ahead, but one mm-hmm. of the questions we wanted to ask you was about the loyalty factor that you talked oh, about. The what? The, the loyalty factor, factor to, <laughs> oh, to black that, men. Well, yeah, because it's funny okay, because when me, I remember when this first started happening, right. <laughs> one of my buddies called me. We were, we were talking about, wow, you know, um, Ain't no black men. Ain't nobody said nothing about no black men yet. <laughs> so we were trying to well, wonder no. what was going on. And let me no, no. Let me tell you what he said. He said, "Man, he says interesting because uh, black women ain't so quick to rat black black men out." That's what he said. Is he, I disagree with that. No, said they're not quick oh, to rat course, black men oh, out. That's yeah. what he said. He said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, but we were both were. waiting okay. to say, okay, where's the ball gonna drop? Because and it's funny because it did drop with Russell Simmons a little bit, right? But but he's not okay. So he's not the the pedestrian blue collar black man. Well, he's man. not, but we know. So, yeah, but he's but he's definitely black is, man. And so neither is. I did a post about this. Okay, so I'm glad you. I, well, I'm glad that we're starting on this now. Tell us the, t- what's the title of the post. I want to know the title of the post. I don't, I don't even remember. <laughs> you know, I do so many posts on Facebook. But I did right. a post about, um, I was wondering, because mm-hmm. if we look at the Me Too movement, I'm really anxious to hear what you have to say uh, regarding this, heaven. Mm-hmm. It is basically incomes white women, white women oh, um, calling white men out. When I say black men, I'm talking about the series regulars, the, the you know, the owner of the church, the pastor, the mm-hmm. second sex. I'm talking about those. Mm-hmm. It hasn't hit them yet. It's coming for it's them. It's coming for them. Oh, it's but coming. I'm, I'm it's hoping, so coming. My hope is that we're past the Anita Hill days. When mm-hmm. she came out, yeah. we were still in a place where, because of our history, we were so protective of our men that, you know what I mean, even despite we didn't protect and, 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 and rally and celebrate this woman, Anita Hill, like we should have. Right. And so I'm hoping today when this comes out and when it enters our community and not just black, but black and Hispanic communities, people of color, right. that the women at this time rally around the women. We'll come back to the Anita Hill thing because I, I don't remember. I mean, no, I think that's all encompassing. That's the No, 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 no. it is all encompassing. But it's okay, it all so. encompassing. I just remember because Heaven was probably two at the time, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> no, but, but, but no, no, my, 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 my no, no, it's okay. Lord. No, we love it. No, we, we, uh, we love Young Guns, right? We, we No, we're just having fun with you. But but I remember when, and we can come back to this because I want to hear what Heaven has, has right. to say. I remember, first of all, there was a strong dislike for Clarence Thomas among the black community. And yes. many of them were actually hoping Anita Hill brought him down. You know, I know many, many, many I, were know, actually hoping for that. I remember differently. I remember her not being given the support okay. and her mm-hmm. being accused of tearing a black man down. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I guess it kid, depends. Yeah. But I remember, you know what I mean? I, I remember our community not loving Clarence. Because I was kind of hoping that. I was kind of hoping. Absolutely. But I remember us him. not rallying support this woman's right. voice, believing her. She was attacked. I mean, right. it was mm-hmm. a different time. She was time. definitely attacked. Right. Yeah, and okay. um, she didn't have, I mean, she didn't have white feminism uh, uh, you know mm-hmm. surrounding her and covering her nor did i remember black feminists coming to her aid but anyway heaven what do you think mm-hmm. we've said a lot yeah, we said, <laughs> we said, said a lot yeah <laughs> no um <laughs> so kind of going back a little bit to this trap so you know this idea of loyalty for black men mm-hmm. and so i kind of got mm-hmm. that from you know a book that i'd read and so um you know a scholar her name is beth ritchie she talks about this trap of loyalty right so this this idea that you know as black women we don't want to put our black men in a position to be criminalized you know we feel mm-hmm. this burden as a community mm-hmm. to be like you know what i don't want to be the next black woman to send my my black male you know my black brother to jail um or to ruin his career um mm-hmm. And so, you know, oftentimes we we fail to speak out. You know, we just say, oh, that, 
you know, he, he kind of grabbed me, but it wasn't like, it wasn't that bad, you know, or like right. he might have touched me inappropriately, but it wasn't that bad. You know, do I really want to say this and like, you know, uh, make him fall under this uh, this kind of like stereotype of this violent, you know, what they've always called as like the violent buck, you know, for black men that they're, you know, violent creatures that are going to rape our women and particular white women. And so, you know, do you want to kind of, of a nation? Yeah. Effect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The birth. So do you mm-hmm. want to like, do you want to kind of, you know, fall and, and put them under that same category? And so you feel the sense of loyalty. And I know I'll just say personally for me, you know, I've personally felt that sense of loyalty and I've never, you know, I've, I've opted not to say certain things in certain situations because I was like, you know what? I don't want to ruin this man's career. Um, you know, they've always been either like high powered official, not officials, but like individuals that have, you know, were doing well in their careers. And I was like, do I want to say something? Um, and I've opted not to. And because most of the time it's this loyalty that, you know, I don't want to be the black woman to bring this black man down um, and just have his whole life be, you know, completely taken away from him. And, you know, just like there's only like a few of few good of them. And so it's like, why would why would I tarnish their careers? Uh, mm-hmm. But then you have to come to a realization that, you know, um, in, in loving your community as a, as a womanist is to hold them, you know, accountable. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, to say more importantly is in holding them accountable, redirecting them, you know, and then um, also uh, showing our the young ones that are coming up, you know, the young, um, you know, black men that are coming up that, uh, this is not appropriate because the more that we don't say anything, the more we're conditioning them to say like this, you know, behavior is appropriate. And, you know, one mm-hmm. time I'll think like I was out in the street in New Haven and I was with um, it was a father who was with his son mm-hmm. and his son was like, I think probably no more than like six. And just like the way that he you know, communicated to me, I'm just like, wow, he just conditioned and allowed his son to see what it's like mm-hmm. to verbally mm-hmm. harass a black woman. And from wow. that moment on at six, he's thinking this is appropriate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, and it's it's just like, we're not having these conversations. Um, and unfortunately the burden becomes on black women to educate black men, but that's not yeah. how it should go, right? It should be that black men should wanna take accountability to learn about their own patriarchy and sexism. But unfortunately it's become this burden of black women to say, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. Um, and, and it's tiring. Like when you're having to fight, you know, racism and sexism, it's exhausting. Let me just say something about men. Let me just say tired. Black women are tired. Listen, right. listen, I'm tired. I'm let, tired. Let me just say something about men in general. Um, and that I don't think a lot of women really understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, men respond to consequences. Men respond to consequences. Yeah. I think um, mm. I have a... Uh, I remember one time, and I'm going to keep this really sort of, um, sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, without saying names. I have this, I had, <laughs> the, I had this kid in my life who I was responsible for to a certain degree, and the kid's father, the kid's probably in the twenties now. Mm-hmm. Kid's father was a bum. I'm gonna, yep, I said it <laughs> was was a bum. <laughs> you know, I mean, literally. Stuff that he would not show up, not have the kid waiting, not show up from when he was little, break the kid's heart. I told the kid's mother, I said, look, you know, because, you know, she was depending on help from a lot of her friends. God wasn't supporting this kid. And I said, you need to take him to court. 
I mean, this guy did stuff like changes. He he didn't want the mom to know where he lived, so when the kid was little, he had to meet him at a certain place. Yeah. So you know, you know, so he couldn't get in no trouble or get found for support or whatever it was. But she used to always say, "Well, I don't want to be the one to put a black man in court." Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, "Are you crazy?" Because but but now I look back now I, I understand the loyalty sort of context, but. Here's the problem, and we talked about this. You got to think of the larger community. You, I've seen, and I continue to see, this young man suffer because of that. And he suffers. And if he has kids, God forbid, sons or daughters, they're going to suffer. You know, mm -hmm. There were times mm -hmm. when I had to, and depending on what people believe in, I think kids, if they deserve a spanking, they should get a spanking. You shouldn't be violent on kids, but I, I'm one who believes it, so, you know. They should be spanked. I know you shouldn't say that around a former CPS worker, but no, I'm uh, just okay. joking. No, I, I, would, I, would say, I, I would say it in front of the police. <laughs> but, my, no, 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 but, no, my, but my point is, I remember, one, and, and, but, but there was a, there's a point to that. But I remember, um, you know, yeah, I forgot what I was going to say. It was a stream of thought. But I do believe that that uh, you have that's how you think of the broader community. And mm -hmm. I've seen this young man continue to suffer. I think that stuff becomes generational all because his father wasn't put in a position where he had to face consequences. The guy ended up having other kids, and from what I understand, became a more responsible father. Because sometimes that takes maturity. But meanwhile, for 20 years, his son has suffered. Yeah. And I think that even in cases where you have, I've heard a situation, and this is something I want to bring up as well, but we may not have time. I've spoken to people who were sexually abused in their families yeah. and have mm -hmm, still not mm -hmm. said anything. And, mm -hmm. and, and one particular person, and this person's married now, told me it was by her cousin who was like, she was maybe eight, her cousin was 16 at some sleepover or whatever. And the cousin's now married, has four kids, into the church, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, you should, has anybody said anything to him? Mm -hmm. No, I'm like, so my assumption is it's, it hasn't stopped. Maybe, maybe, maybe he stopped, but maybe it's going on to his, who knows, you know? But there was mm -hmm. no no level of accountability brought to him, no discussion. Even if he wasn't put out in public, at least someone should say, look, we know what you did, and you can't, don't do that. I don't know if you're doing it now, but we want to, let's, let's talk about this. Some, some, some level of accountability. This, this lady told her mom, they won't tell her father, because she said if she ever told her father, it would be a wrap. Right. Right, so, and this lady's and this lady's in early thirties. So, right. so there should be my last. The, the bottom line is men respond to consequences. Period. I mean, we're, I'm, I'm, and men are men to a certain degree, but you can stop a lot of. Um, you can at least hold people accountable or have them start thinking about the, account, account, the accountability they would have to deal with, right. and the consequences they have to deal with based on certain behaviors. I um. You know, and I think I fully agree with that. I think that accountability definitely does help. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the mm -hmm. problem that we're coming across is this idea. And I think, Aaron, you kind of pointed to it earlier about this responsibility, right? Like you should have said something. But mm -hmm. let's be honest. We don't have a culture that makes it appropriate or makes women feel exactly. comfortable to say anything. Mm -hmm. And so, like, mm -hmm. let's take it. Let's 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 talk about the black church. Right. Mm -hmm. And so right. in particular, I mean, how many times have you heard pastors openly um, make it? you know, create this safe space to talk about, you know, sexual violence. I've never heard about, you know, it being talked in most churches. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't even talk about it. This idea of that, you know, gender oppression is real in the church. Mm -hmm. um, that mm -hmm. um, whether it's something verbal or physical, that these things are happening. And from the pulpit, that's where it comes from, right? With our, when our pul pulpits are being, uh, 
you know, managed majority by men. Mm-hmm. And you don't even hear men talking about sexual violence in the pulpit. You know, there's no way that people, are, it's like taboo. Okay. You know, you don't even want to talk because about it. Because our loyalty, it. like yeah. we talked about, extends uh, to an office as well as to our men. When we think of what happened with Eddie Long. And, oh, you know, we will just say that those are allegations because they were never proven. They were never proven. But we all have our own opinions. Well, well. When those allegations, and of course I did a blog about that too, but when those allegations <laughs> came glad. up about Ellie Long, mm-hmm. Eddie Long, the black church rallied, or at least his members rallied to protect him right. versus uh, find out, you know, if those young men's story bear any truth. And, of right. course, I don't think that... Um, Anybody, I, I think that there should be uh, an innocence before proven guilty, but he was declared innocent right. before even an investigation right. of those uh, allegations. And so I think in our community, I mean, I don't want to keep, you know, harping on us because I think this is widespread and deep. Mm. I think you can find it in the black church, in the white church, in church, period. Um, but we need, we do have a, a culture that women do not feel comfortable coming forward. People do not, because those were young men. People do not feel comfortable coming forward and talking about actually sex, really. Right. You know what right. I mean? If we go deep. Right. But go. they definitely don't feel comfortable coming forward and talking about um, sexual misconduct. And that extends to men, but more importantly, because the topic today is Me Too women. And so we haven't created an atmosphere where women, right now, I'm an actress. In my 20s, there was somebody who did something horrific. I was not raped, but he did something that was absolutely sexual harassment. And in your 20s, you think, um... Mm-hmm. You just want to laugh it off and get yeah. out of the situation. At least that's how I felt. It was the 90s. I was like, uh-huh, let me get out of this. Mm-hmm. But this man has ascended in his career. He's mm-hmm. very high. He does things. But uh, I wouldn't have said anything then and because I would have felt like who was going to believe me. Mm-hmm. And it would, just like t- the Terry Crews quote, do I want to work again? Yes. Mm-hmm. I want to work again. Do I want to be blackballed? No. Do I yeah. want this to go away so I can continue? Yes. So every woman makes a decision. You, you know, know what I mean? Let, Based on her job and her wanting to really make that situation go away because she doesn't think anything's going to be done about it and because she thinks she's going to become the focal point of right. judgment. Right. Let me just give a side note, Terry Crews. I, I like Terry. I, I mean, I haven't seen oh, Terry in a long him. time. Yeah, good dude. Mm-hmm. And I, I really believe, and, I, and when I see him again, I'm gonna say, "Dude, you didn't, you didn't knock this dude out because your wife stopped you." <laughs> That's probably what happened. When I had discussion with my boys, we're like, "He didn't physically respond because Rebecca said." I think his wife's name is Rebecca. Said, "Okay, whoa, listen up." You know, I really believe it had mm-hmm. a lot to do with that. That's just my my interpretation of the events because when I heard about that situation, man, I was. Like, oh, really? But and his quote, and his quote, I think it's it's both. He yeah. wants to work in this town again. Mm. And as a black man, if he punched that dude out, right. who's coming for him? The police. Who's going to jail that night? Yeah, Terry Terry's going to court. I mean, you yeah. know what I mean? So you want to work in this town? Yeah. Then there's headlines that he's the crazy, angry black man. Angry who black punched, man. I mean, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I, I appreciate it the way he handled it, because in that moment, he had the opportunity to understand what we go through as women more. Th- thank God for a good, he, he thank, God, to, thank he, God for a good wife. He, yes, that and he had the opportunity to feel powerless 
to understand that women always were bartering, making a decision. Do I want to keep this job or do I want to raise a ruckus and possibly lose my employment to hold this man accountable? He's suing him. Last I checked, he's suing suing that agent now. Wonderful. Which Wonderful. Is, which is great. Hi, this is Evan. Thank you for listening to part one. Uh, you've now entered the Amen Corner, kind of a sort of Amen Corner. It's a time really of reflection right now because there's another part two coming in. We have Erin who is going to knock out the Amen Corner for this segment, the woman's movement. It's interesting because, you know, I'm the guy here and I felt a, a need to just sit back and and, and use this time to reflect as a man. Erin's going to come in at the end of part two and, and give us her thoughts. And I thought about sort of some of the things that were said. One particular thing that was said surrounding Harvey Weinstein <clears throat> and how when he was accused by so many women, the only pushback he gave was when he encountered the accusations of women of color, Salma Hayek and Lupita Nyong'o. And it's interesting, but it was okay for him to, to be silent when the uh, other women accused him who happened to be white women, a lot of Caucasian women. But when women of color accused him, he responded as if, you know, how, you know I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have, or they, on some level, they didn't have the value or they seem below him, even though he has been accused of being a sexual predator. So what's interesting about that was <clears throat> what it said about not only the testimony of women of color being valued, but just women of color or women being valued who happen to be on the margins, their voices being valued. It's interesting because in scripture you find, first of all, Genesis breaks it down and says that we're all created in the image of God, uh, male and female, uh, was created in God's image. And then when we look in the Bible, and especially as Christians and being that it's something that those who are Christians and those who uh, read the Bible and look at Jesus as God and say, well, you know, um, Colossians says, hey, Jesus is the the image of the invisible God. So if you want to know what, what God looks like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God, how God treats people, uh, look at how Jesus treats people, particularly women. And if we look at how Jesus treats women, particularly women on the margins, we see a totally different picture. We see a Jesus who valued women like the Samaritan woman, a woman who, in a sense, would, was an outcast, but in many ways, she can be viewed as really the first female evangelist, um, telling people about who Jesus was. Then we have the Syrophoenician woman, who was also a Gentile. Uh, she was on the margins. You can look at maybe Lydia in the epistles when Paul uh, preaches to this woman. Lydia was actually an Asiatic businesswoman. And so many of these women are women on the margins, but the Bible shows us that if we're looking at Jesus, if we're looking at the, the action behind the gospel, these women were valued. Now, Harvey Weinstein, I don't know his religious affiliation. If he has none, there's no mandate for him to give anyone value, particularly 
people on the margins. But if you're a Christian, then there is a mandate. There is an example for us to, especially as men, where we have to hold each other accountable, is to treat women, particularly women on the margins, who are less valued in many ways in, in, in the Western context, and particularly in this country, to make it a point to be proactive about treating them with and giving them the value that God gives them being created in God's image. Anyway, that was my uh, two cents. Thank you for listening. Join us again in part two in a couple weeks as we continue with Ms. Heaven Brahane here on the other side. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in to The Other Side. Join me on the journey at AaronSands.com or you can follow me on social media at Aaron L. Sands. You can follow me on Instagram at Evan the Conqueror or on Twitter at Evan D. Park. Thanks again. See you soon on the other side. The views expressed on the other side are those of the hosts and the guests and do not represent the views of Yale University.